Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. And this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. And today I have Idan Yago, uh, CEO of Epifite.com. Uh, Epifite helps do, uh, I guess it looks like instantaneous or near instantaneous transactions in the uh, banking world. But I'll let Idan uh, talk about that more. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. So would you mind giving listeners a rundown of what Epifite does and how it works? Sure. So what Epifite does is uh, we're one of the few companies in the world who are able to offer the ability to perform cross-border payments and transactions that bypass the banking system. In other words, your payments are not done by banks. They're done over a new type of technology called the blockchain. Uh, And we're actually the only company in the world right now who are licensed uh, by a major regulator to provide this type of cross-border clearing and settlement. And what's really interesting about it is even though what we're doing bypasses the banks, a lot of our biggest customers are banks. And that just tells you how screwed up the world of cross-border payments is. (laughs) Yeah, when I looked on uh, Google, an epiphyte is a plant that grows harmlessly upon another plant it gets its moisture and nutrients from uh, its surroundings. So I guess you're um, you're growing on top of the banking system, and uh, but yeah, you're helping it perform better and faster. That's right. Yes. Okay. So uh, to kind of give you a sense of of being, the in in that uh, metaphor of the epiphyte, which is sort of like these new flowers like, you know, orchids or epiphytes that grow on the old growth in a forest, like the big old trees, right? Mm-hmm. So this is exactly the situation we have in the banking world. Uh, the ability to perform payments uh, between parties who are far away and in different countries is something that banks have been providing for a thousand years now. And they've been providing it pretty much the same way for that entire thousand year period. So what will happen is if you are in the US and you want to send money to someone in Japan, your little bank is going to have a relationship and they're going to have deposited money with a bank, a bigger bank in the United States, maybe with JP Morgan. And then JP Morgan will have a relationship with the Fed and then uh, the Fed uh, will have a relationship with another bank, uh, and these are all known as corresponding banks, right? So okay. I have a corresponding bank, which is the bank that I have a relationship with, and what they do is they, they pay a game like pass the parcel. So they'll take your payment and they'll move it from one bank to another until they've managed to create a chain of different banks that eventually one of them has a partner in Japan, and that one that has a partner in Japan uh, is in partnership with the banks that you're ultimately trying to send funds to. And this is the reason that even though I can send an email 
to you across the world instantaneously, uh, sending money is really, really slow. In fact, it's faster most of the time for me to take a FedEx package, stuff it full of bills, and, and physically FedEx those bills than it is going to be for me to perform a digital payment in a digital world. Well, that's crazy. Why would they? It sounds like, um, you know, a bunch of I hand you an envelope and you hand it to someone else and they hand it to someone else. Why would the banks have such a crazy system that's so antiquated? Why come I can't go direct from my bank in the U.S. to, you know, Bank of Japan? That's an excellent question, and the and the answer is it comes down to trust. So, for them to basically be able to trust this handover. There's no actual handover. That's the problem. Right? So instead, what they do is they will have accounts with one another. And then when one bank informs the other that they're going to be making a payment, they essentially say to the other bank, listen, I've got a, you know, $100 million sitting in an account with you. You debit that $100 million for $10,000. And now my balance is $10,000 low with you. And you take that $10,000 and you perform the same uh, task with the next bank in, in the corresponding banking chain line. And so I have to trust that you're going to do that as one bank to another. And it's very, very expensive to maintain these relationships of trust. They're, they require connectionalization, they require opening accounts with one another, making these deposits, verifying, doing reconciliation. And so even the largest banks in the world can only have so many partners with whom they have relationships of this kind. And maintaining these relationships is an expensive process. In fact, it is so expensive that um, some estimates of what cross-border payments costs the banks on an annual basis, um, so for example, uh, 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 McKinsey published uh, uh, a study a year ago, and they believe that the costs to banks of performing cross-border payments exceed right. one trillion dollars a year. It's just un- unfathomable oh. amounts of money. That's crazy. So, so oh. this is the central problem. The central problem is of trust. And up until now, we haven't really had a digital technology which could embody trust. Because if you think about it, if I now send you an email. It's great that I can do it instantaneously, but any information or any file that I send you, you can duplicate and send to a million other people. And so anything that exists in the Internet as we know it exists to be copied and in a thousand forms. But this doesn't work for money. I can't send you a dollar and you copy it and send it to two people. That's that's not good, right? Right. So... So, so the typical use, the typical things that we've been able to do with digital information, we haven't been able to do with digital value until now. So uh, now there is a new technology which has been in the wild for uh, less than 10 years, um, and it's specifically designed to allow uh, the transfer of value in a trustless way and make sure that digital value can exist as a digital commodity, can exist in, as, as a thing which is in one place and one place only. And so you no longer need these lines of trust. You can literally just take the thing of value, the dollar or, or more typically today, the Bitcoin, and just transfer it from the sender to the beneficiary. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I never knew that, that banks have accounts with each other and this is how uh, how things work. You know, it's funny is like because I'm on the outside, what I thought is a bank just trusts another bank because it's a bank. That's that was my assumption, you know. Like of course yeah. th- there should be no issue because hey, they're a bank, so you got you know, you trust them right out of the gate. But I guess that's not the truth. So there's this thing in the bank world called Herr Stutterisk. Uh, which is named after a bank that went bust in Germany. Hmm. Uh, And uh, this bank was pretty well connected. And so a lot of other banks were using it to transfer funds through it. And Hmm. and they went, they basically announced that they were going bust like late one Wednesday night. And, And as they did that, the bank, for all intents and purposes, ceased to exist. And so all of the funds that were in the process of being transferred disappeared with the bank. Now, this is not an unusual risk. This happens quite often. And especially, uh, there was a lot of fear of it happening uh, when there was a financial crash of 2008. Uh, So, for example, um, uh, Bear Stearns, which is one of the banks that disappeared, Bear Stearns was acting as a corresponding bank for the largest bank in Israel, Bank Lumi. And Bank Lumi were in the process of transferring to various other banks $150 million when Bear Stearns announced that they were bankrupt. And so right. Lumi saw $150 million just disappear into thin air. Wow. So is that, is that part of the reason that the banking crisis in 08 spread around the whole world? It's not the reason, but it's similar to the reason. It's basically... Um, because so much of the financial system is like a, a stack of cards, right? This, this, this stack of cards of trust. Uh, if something happens, it can have a massive knock-on effect. And one of the exciting things about blockchain technology and, and Bitcoin, which essentially is its embodiment, um, is that it removes that aspect of kind of nobody having the full picture and uh, everyone having to trust everyone else and it introduces weirdly enough even though it's digital a solid footing for transactions and the transfer of value yeah just to let you know listeners to this podcast we've done a lot of blockchain interviews so you know they're not experts but uh, they do know what it is and the basics of how it works so we'll get into that in a minute I just wanted to ask you a few more questions about the banking system because that, ironically, is probably the rarest knowledge. Um, so what are the methods right now? Like, what is SWIFT? How do the wire systems work? What is IBAN? You know, can you give a brief overview of what those are and what are the traditional methods to move money from bank to bank or country to country? And, like, you know, then we'll talk about how your solution fixes all those or makes those faster and, be- faster and better. Yeah, so that's a, that's a giant question that you've just asked. Um, Sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, all of those things. Are, so that, there are basically two things that happen in parallel. All right? One is you have to transfer the knowledge that a transfer is supposed to happen. So there's sending the message that this bank is sending money to this bank on behalf of this person, right, or this company. Uh, that is what SWIFT does. SWIFT is a giant messaging system between the banks. The IBAN mm-hmm. system is a giant uh, you know, telephone 
book, right, with all of the different, it's like a directory of all of the different account numbers and banks. It's a routing system. None of that actually moves funds. The actual funds are moved in this sort of old, creaky way of corresponding banking that I just described. Okay. And so these two things happen in parallel. And what's worse uh, than what I previously described is because these things are happening in parallel but are not connected, mistakes happen quite often. So there'll be a message, but the funds won't go through, or the funds will go through, but not exactly the way that the message described. And so money gets lost. Uh, by some estimates, uh, as, as, as many as 7% of uh, international transfers uh, are not completed without an error. In other words, they, they, they don't complete at all, or maybe they're completed and you thought they were completed fine, but in the background there were all kinds of people trying to fix something that went wrong. Uh, or the money arrived but wasn't exactly the amount that you expected. This happens very, very often because huh. different corresponding parties in the chain take different cuts, and you never exactly know how much money is going to end up on the other side. You don't know what the FX rate is going to be. You don't know what the commissions of different groups are taking. It's, it's, it's a very arcane system. Um, so where we come in here is what we've been working with banks and other financial institutions, and now more recently we've released uh, a version of our software that can be used by corporates directly, is to say, all right, what we can do is we can take pounds on one side, in the UK, we can convert them to digital assets and instantaneously transport them across borders and then reconvert them to dollars or to Singaporean dollars or you know, uh, South African rand and deposit them directly to the beneficiary's account. And then instead of having this cross-border mess, which is the most complicated part, you only have two domestic transactions. You've got the transaction in the UK and the transaction in the US, or so the transaction in the UK and the transaction in South Africa. And that's it. And in that way, we bypass the international banking system. Makes sense. What's the um, average number of hops in correspondence banking right now? Do you know that figure? Or the average uh, um, percentage of uh, transaction cost on sending money? No, so I actually don't know. It's very hard to get those figures. Uh, I can tell you that even between two uh, well-developed economies like the United States and Japan, you're going to be looking at between five to seven banks being involved, typically. Uh, wow. If you're looking at more exotic, like if you're trying to send money to Nigeria or you know Malaysia, <clears throat> then it gets far more complicated than that. Huh. That's pretty crazy. I didn't realize this. It's amazing. What about um, uh, cost to send a transaction? What's the ballpark of what it runs, you know, what it could run from, or an average? Um, yes. Again, that's it really, I mean, there's a huge range. Um, okay. So if you've got a good bank with large corporations, uh, so large corporations, you know, with the good banking, if they're doing a transfer, say, Europe to the United States, uh, the costs are fairly minimal given the size of the transactions that they're performing. On the other okay. hand, if you're doing small transactions, and especially, you know, you're from a smaller bank, 
you're going to see fees which are sometimes several percent of the transaction. Right, so you could be charged $25, fee, $25 to send. On the other side, they may be charged another $25 or $50 to receive. There's going to be 1% or 2% that you lose on the FX. You end up losing several percent on the, uh, on the transaction. And um, so, under some circumstances, if you're and – and, and typically the problem is that it gets worse and worse, sort of the, uh, the, the poorer you are. If you're, if you're a migrant worker – trying to send money home, then the average cost for you is 7.5%, wow. uh, according to the World Bank. But, you know, some corridors, you're looking as much as 15%. It's just crazy numbers. Yeah, so where's the focus of Epify's business? Is it in remittances, you know, people away from home that are sending money back, or is it more large transfers and, you know, from corporations? Where's your sweet spot in the industry? Or do you do it all? So we're uh, so our product special effects um, is focused on providing infrastructure. So we don't go to uh, the guy on the street who's trying just you know trying to do a retail uh, transfer of funds. What we do is we will work with banks and other financial institutions. So if you go to a remittance company or if you go to an FX broker and they're transferring funds on your behalf, which, by the way, I would suggest, they're typically going to be much cheaper than doing this directly through your bank, right? It's much, you know, it's like the lazy thing to do is just, you know, call up your bank, go online and send the money, but you're losing a lot of money that way. Uh, so, you know, if you go to a specialist, um, what we're doing is we're connecting at the back end of these specialists and we're helping them drive their costs down. Okay. Well, all right, so this would be for larger transfers then, not just, you know, hey, I used to live in, uh, you know, from India, I live in the U.S., and I'm going to send money back home. The customers of our customers, right, so our customers include remittance companies. Some of them have now, because they're using our system, have gone to their customers and said, listen, guys, we can do something that we've never been able to do for before. We can, we can now let you uh, send $5 home. And, you know, mm. once your fee would have been $25, so you would actually, like, end up with minus, you know, uh, uh, $20 of this. But now the fee right. is 25 cents. So you can just send $5 home. And, and we started to see transactions coming through our system where somebody is like, uh, you know, I have, I'm sending money back home to my family in Mexico, and they need to pay a $16 water bill, like now. They need to pay it, like now. Mm. So I'm going to just send them that money, uh, which is something that's never been available before. On the other hand, we, we have, you know, customers who are moving $20 million. So we, one of the cool things about our technology is it's really done something that up until now has pretty much escaped uh, service providers. Service providers have usually had to focus because of because of the complexity of the system on one very narrow band, right? So they'll do very small transactions, they'll do very large transactions, but they won't do both. We're doing everything from five dollars to you know five million dollars. Wow. Okay. What are some of the largest uh, remittance companies that you work with that maybe people would know their names? So uh, right now we're not revealing the, the who's onboarded. Uh, in part, this is to protect uh, 
their margins. So they okay. haven't changed their pricing yet. And we only launched the service in November for them. But um, mm. uh, we expect that will become available, that information will become available soon. What I can tell you is the banks that we've been working with include uh, Barclays uh, Bank, uh, uh, Santander, uh, BBVA. Um, uh, we've been working with Visa. So um, those are the largest financial institutions that we work with. As a as a customer, will I see if my remitter or my bank is using your system, or it'll just look the same as it's always looked? Or will they tell me, hey, you know, instead of using the wire system, you could use this other system, Epifite, and you know, we could send your money that way? Or will it be, you know, will it be transparent to the consumer? For the most part, it's transparent, but we are in the process of examining launching a branded service. Uh, because that way our customers can go to their customers and say, hey, we've got this new thing, it's called Special Effects, uh, and it does all of these cool things. Hmm. Okay. And what um, what countries uh, is it available in Special Effects right now? So our focus right now is uh, UK and Europe, uh, to and from uh, uh, East Asia and Africa. Uh, we're looking to expand to South America, and eventually we'll be looking to do North America as well. Oh, the U.S. is going to be one of the later ones? So the United States, we actually started the company in San Francisco, and we moved hmm. to London. And the reason we did that was because the United States has possibly the worst financial regulation in the developed world, uh, which is right. why... You know, Americans, sometimes they travel overseas and they're like, whoa, what is going on here? Because they see, like, people taking out their their credit cards and just tapping things and getting, you know, like, they'll, they'll just tap uh, their card to travel on the subway or they'll walk into a store and, 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 and grab a Coke and just tap something on the way out. Um, huh. and, and, and then they'll, you know, be able to do payments like, if you do a payment bank-to-bank -bank in the UK, for example, uh, it's reflected on the, in the other bank. It, it gets to the other person uh, basically within three seconds. And you try to do an ACH transaction in the US, it takes three days. So um, the, a big part of this is because there's, there's really problematic financial regulation in the United States. And so uh, we actually decided to move out of the US to be in a place where it would be easier to innovate. And over time, as we get big enough to tackle the regulatory beast, which is America, we will move back into the North American market. Hey, being from America, that saddens me, but hopefully you come back soon. Uh, it saddens me as well. Uh, I was very happy living in California, as a lot of people are. Uh, and, and I'm a big fan of, of the United States. You know, I think the uh, United States has, has an important role to play as a beacon of uh, uh, freedom and free markets to the world. And sometimes I think, unfortunately, the United States forgets that role. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get back to the mechanics of um, how Epifite works. So let's say there's a remitter or a bank um, in the correspondence system, they'd have to open up an account with other banks, et cetera. So here, what, what do they do? They just have a, a Bitcoin wallet? No, and, no um, there's no Bitcoin wallet. Uh, oh. So 
our customers, they essentially connect their systems through ours, uh, through a set of APIs. So um, it's like a way of our computer connecting, our, our system connecting directly with their system. And then as they're performing transactions, which is what their software is designed to do, because that, you know, they're either banks or other types of financial institutions, those transactions and the messaging around them get sent directly into our system. Now, for our customers' perspective, what we do, there, there's no Bitcoin involved. What we're doing is we're moving dollars into yen. We're moving pounds into euro. And, oh. and that's all. In that respect, there's nothing different from the, from the experience uh, that you would get using sort of like a bank interface. And as... Okay. We get ready to launch our our uh, sort of more commercial facing uh, service. You'll just go in. You'll say, you know, type in where you want to send money to, how much you want to send. You'll um, forward us the funds, and we will take care of the rest. Are you able to say what's mechanically happening on your side? Like, here's a question. So. You talk about blockchain. Which blockchain are you using? Is it Bitcoin's blockchain? Is it a private one? Is it you know? So yeah, so we 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 only use open source public chains, which can be audited uh, publicly. Uh, the biggest okay. one that we use by far is Bitcoin, uh, and the vast majority of transactions that we perform are through the Bitcoin blockchain. And the way we uh, perform this mechanism of transaction is we have a platform upon which there are all kinds of brokers, people who are looking to trade in and out of these digital assets. And some of them are trading in or out for pounds and some of them are trading in or out for dollars. And we take advantage of the speculative action that is happening and basically tie these trades together. We lock them together so that they execute at the same time. And so you end up with uh, somebody uh, buying dollars in America uh, and selling Bitcoin, but n- but not to the person who, who gave him the dollars, but to someone else who's going to give someone else, the beneficiary, uh, the pounds. And so by matching transactions in that way, uh, we affect a, a, a cross-border transfer of value without actually having funds leave their respective countries. Okay, okay. So the hop is... Um, uh, you know, let's say pounds to Bitcoin and then Bitcoin to uh, rupees, for instance. There's two yeah. hops on and off. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that, okay, so it, that's why it, maybe in my mind it looks like a rail. Maybe that's why they call it a payment rail. It's like you're hopping onto the rail, moving, and then hopping off like a train. That's right, yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, so that's mechanistically what's happening when someone sends through special effects, right? Yes. Okay. All right. And um, are you able to reveal more details about it? Like how long does it take? How much does it cost? Yeah. So we basically do it for free. Uh, we do it for free because we're able to we, we, we have a small uh, FX fee that we have, what's called the spread. Uh, and we basically monitor the market and we, we provide the smaller spread as a, that's available. 
uh, and we don't take an additional fee to that. So we pretty much guarantee that doing it through us is going to be cheaper than doing it through other means. Uh, we will go so far as to say that if you do manage to find a cheaper way of doing it, we will match you. Um, mm. And in terms of how long it takes, the actual cross-border part of the transaction um, is completed in seconds, uh, under three wow. seconds, say less than a second. Uh, the actual transfer in its totality, it depends. So, you know, if we're doing Singapore to the UK, the whole thing will happen in less than a few minutes, you know, two or three minutes. Uh, and that's because both of those countries have very efficient domestic payment rails. However, if we do, um, say, uh, UK to Germany, um, because the German domestic rails are not great, it could be next day. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, why why would you have to go into um, Bitcoin at all? Why couldn't you just go from, uh, you know, pounds to yen uh, and just do it through the regular fiat currencies, but just um, anchor the transaction to the blockchain so it's, you know, people know that it's actually happened? Is that more complicated to do? No, it's not more complicated. It's simpler, but it's also not useful. So... The question is not whether or not something has happened. The question is, can I trust all the parties involved or can I bypass the need to trust the parties involved? So if we, uh, if we were to sort of, you know, create these IOUs, right, like here's, here's like a, a symbol for a dollar on the blockchain and here's a symbol for uh, euro on the blockchain, uh, and then we transfer all of these, these these things, uh, we, we need someone who's backing, backing up that money, basically saying we're the ones paying that money. We're the ones who have put those pounds or put those dollars on the blockchain. And if the person who, if you know, the entity that has done that happens to be Bear Stearns and they disappear, then you haven't accomplished anything. Uh, you're, you, okay. you've still got the And so what you need is you need a digital commodity, which exists, which has value regardless of, of a particular entity. Uh, and, and that's the unique thing that Bitcoin and other digital commodities provide. Okay. Interesting. So you, you said um, the vast majority of transactions are on the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. Are you seeing any problems of scalability or transaction speed yet? Do you think it's going to happen in the future or do you do you think you might have to use multiple chains like Ethereum or other stuff? Like, what's, What do you see happening in the next year or two or three years with your process? No, we've built a, a little bit of cryptographic magic, uh, which allows us to use the security of the Bitcoin blockchain, but to perform transactions at very, very high speed. So we can do thousands of transactions a second. Uh, and hmm. so we're not affected by these scalability issues. What can you say about that? Like, how do you how do you do that? Well, um, it's a little bit technical. Uh, people who have maybe heard a little bit about this stuff know about a thing called the Lightning Network, which is a way of creating uh, these uh, payment channels between the parties, which allow you to do very very high speed transactions. Uh, our system is a little bit like the Lightning Network. It's a proprietary version of of what is an open source system. Hmm. Okay. 
So that's amazing. So you can do thousands of transactions a section, sec, second. That's your capacity. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's that's awesome. Um, yeah, just a couple more questions, then we'll be done. Uh, so far, I love the work you guys are doing. It's going to be a big game changer. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, we think it's going to. Uh, no, we think there's a. There's a, there's a like this huge thing that no one has had the right tools to tackle up until now. Uh, and so it's a very exciting time. Yeah, this, the whole concept for this and, and all the technology that's come out of your head, or where did the idea and the initial implementation come from? Well, I, when we just started the company, I, a lot of it was coming from me, but um, thank God we've hired a lot of people who are smarter than me. and. And now we have a really strong team of engineers who are building uh, cutting-edge technology. How did you come up with this idea? Were you like abused by banks when you were a kid, or what did you think of it? <laughs> uh, well, you know, everyone's been abused by banks when they were kids. So, um, uh, I, I to, so I grew up in South Africa, uh, and South Africa when I was growing up and still has massive capital controls, which made moving money very, very difficult. Uh, and my family, uh, like many families uh, seeking to immigrate out of the country, uh, needed to figure out ways of moving their funds out. And one of the ways that we did it was when I was nine years old, I was helping the family by getting onto planes with gold coins. Um, basically stuffed into the lining of my jacket and and moving it out. Huh. And when I and you know, later I ne I learned network science and I read the the Satoshi white paper, which was like the first paper that described this. And I think I just had uh, experiences which made me realize how valuable this would be. That's great. That's amazing. Hmm. Okay. So um, last question. So what do you see as the, the future of Epiphyte, you know, in 2017 and then maybe a little bit further out? Where are you guys going with the uh, the company and, and special effects and everything else? Well, uh, we have a really big mission ahead of us. Uh, Cross-border transactions are somewhere between 180 and $200 trillion moved every single year. Uh, and they're moved in a really, really expensive and slow way, which is bad for commerce, it's bad for international trade, it's bad for people sending money to their families, it's bad for parents who are trying to pay for their kids' schooling. And, uh, and our goal is to attack that, not directly, uh, not by offering payments ourselves, but by going to all of the wonderful companies like Asimo and TransferWise and WorldRemit and Remitly and and, and PayPal, who are trying to make this better and offering them the first real alternative uh, to going through the corresponding banking system that has existed in the digital age. Hmm. What, what's some of your goals for the next uh, year? Any concrete ones? Or I mean, I know you have your big goal here. Yeah, but, so, um, I mean, we, we've just launched special effects, and our goal is to sign up more customers and, and grow the, the, the reach of special effects. We uh, also plan on open sourcing some of the technology that we've built so that others can build upon it and, and, uh, and we can see uh, 
more uh, companies like ourselves because we think the space is huge and um, and there's a lot of room for for you know many companies to enter it and profitably uh, tackle this market and um, and one of the real big things that we're doing right now also is we're in the process of for the first time raising funds. So we've been profitable pretty much from day one, but now we're looking to raise funds so that we can accelerate our growth and, and uh, build, uh, build the team larger. Um, and so these are the big three things that we're going to be focused on this year. Okay. Well, great. I, you know, this has been a really eye-opening interview. Um, you know, the stuff you guys are doing is uh, going to have a great effect. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, and lastly, you know, how do people find out more about Epiphyte and special effects and maybe evaluate whether they want to uh, work with you guys in some capacity? Well, I mean, uh, you can go to uh, uh, com to learn more about the company and to learn more about the product. You can go to special effects. Uh, dot co. So that's just special and then fxco. Dot co. Okay. Very good, Edan. Um, if you go ahead. No, I just wanted to say thanks for for having me on, and uh, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in more, we're happy to talk to them and try and see if we can help. Okay. Very good. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.